Welcome to church. This morning, we're continuing our sermon series, DIY Faith. Through the series, we're exploring God's blueprint for our lives. Our lead pastoral candidate, Pastor Barry, is sharing his message this morning, titled, Living Life Worthy of the Calling. If you're new here, we'd love to get you connected with our community. You can message us on Facebook, Instagram, or by simply texting hello to 587-323-1199, and we'll respond right back. Check out our bulletin if you want to see what's happening here at Calvary. On it, you can find more information about the ministries and events that we'd love for you to be a part of. We're so glad you could join us today. So good to be here with you this morning. Thank you for this opportunity to explore whether God is in this and leading us to walk together. As has already been said, I have known Pastor OJ for a number of years and have always had a lot of respect for him. And I too grieve his passing, as many of you are, some of you very deeply, given how long you know in him, how well you knew him and how much you loved him. He deeply loved his family, and he deeply loved you as a church. Would you mind if I prayed for you for just a minute? God, I thank you that these kinds of things, these experiences that we walk through in losing someone so close to us, though they surprise us, though they are so difficult for us to walk through, they do not surprise you. And so, God, I pray. I pray for this church. I pray for all those who knew OJ. Would you come, Holy Spirit? You are the God of comfort. Would you come now and comfort those of us who are grieving? Would you minister to us in our spirit, our soul, and our body? Thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for OJ, his faithfulness his love for you and his commitment to go your way, his love for his family, his love for your church. So we honor him today as we look to you for what you have for us moving forward. I bless this church and the whole grieving process in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, over these uh, three messages, I'd like to give you windows into who I am into my relationship with God and what that's like and what I value in the kingdom of God. I want to give you a glimpse into what I believe God calls the church to be, who he calls us to be, and what we are to be about. And so I would encourage you in this process over these weeks to come that you would be praying, that perhaps you would be fasting, seeking to hear from God, because this is not a decision that we want to make in our flesh. It's not just some good idea or not a good idea. We want to follow and keep in step with the Holy Spirit. So I just invite you 
on this journey. Well, have you ever been on a team where it felt like somebody wasn't pulling their weight? Being in a hockey town, I often read how Edmonton is a difficult place to play. Media, very quick to smear anyone who appears to be slacking. Hockey is not the only sport this happens. It happens in almost every professional sport that I'm aware of. It also happens in families, especially when it feels like one sibling in particular is not pulling their weight. Growing up on a farm in Minnesota, as, a young, as the youngest of five kids, it was easy for me to think that my older siblings would just do all the chores. Well, to ensure fairness, my parents divvied up the responsibility according to our age and our, some of our capabilities, sweeping the basement floor of our house that was built in the 1880s, mowing lawn, and taking the garbage out were a few of mine. But I had this lazy side to me. Chores were just never a priority. Some Saturdays, it would take me all day just to do what I could have done in a couple hours at best. There were just so many other more fun things to do. Thankfully, no, for my own maturity, nobody in my family bailed me out. It was good for me. I've been on all kinds of teams in sports, in business settings, in ministry settings, where it feels at times like somebody is not doing their fair share. Have you ever been there? How does it feel? I think we all have this fairness gene wired into our DNA that when, it's, it, when something doesn't seem fair, we experience all kinds of emotions. We have all kinds of nasty thoughts running through our head about those people. Well, healthy relationships are two-way relationships where each person contributes. In marriage, it's often been said, it's a 50-50 deal. Well, I disagree. It's 100% and 100%. It takes everything we've got to make our marriages work well and to thrive. Relationships don't work well if one party does the majority of the giving and the other party does the majority of the taking. Those are what we call emotionally destructive relationships. They don't work well in friendship. They don't work well in business or in our places of work, in ministry. And apart from raising children, they don't work well in the home. And perhaps you've thought about this before. A relationship with God is no different. God has done some incredible work to enable us to have a relationship with him. Jesus came, he suffered, he died, so that we can receive forgiveness of our sin. That's called salvation. Being saved from the consequences of our sin. And we can experience freedom from condemnation, from guilt, from shame. And if you experience some of those emotions, then perhaps you long for the day to be set free from them. I can tell you from my own story that freedom from these things is an incredible gift. Salvation gets us through the gate. It gets us through the door into the kingdom of God. It establishes a relationship with him 
But if that's all you've ever experienced in your relationship with God, you are missing out. God wants a two-way relationship. And this series on DIY faith is all about our part. Our part in helping a relationship with God thrive. For the three weeks that I'll be sharing with you, we'll be looking at Ephesians chapter four. The apostle Paul is helping the church in Ephesus understand their part in growing their relationship with God. So our text today starts in verse one. You can follow along in your Bible, in your Bible app, or on the screen behind me. Ephesians chapter four, verse one. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you that you have inspired this word. Would you help us to understand how it will make sense and you want it to gain traction in our own lives? Would this word bear fruit in our life? I commit this to you in Jesus' name. I want you to notice here that Paul encourages them and therefore us to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. What does that mean? He's talking about the invitation that the Holy Spirit gave us to be in relationship with him. You see, none of us can respond to God. None of us can see our need for God or even desire to know him unless God first, the Holy Spirit first begins to draw us. And for those of you who are processing whether to follow Jesus Christ or not, by the mere fact that you are investigating this, you're checking this out, is it possible that the Holy Spirit is wooing you? He's inviting you into relationship. It's a calling to receive his forgiveness of our sin and to surrender our life to him is a life calling. Not just to slip into the gate through salvation, but to go far in the kingdom of God. And to be transformed, to be shaped by the character, into the character of Jesus Christ. To live a life worthy of this calling is all-encompassing. It will affect what we choose to believe about life. And about other people. It will affect our values and what's important to us. It will affect how we treat the people around us. It's Jesus Christ becoming Lord, boss, leader of everything that we choose to do in life. And the Apostle Paul here in our text is encouraging us to do, is urging us to do our part. So if you are at the beginning of this journey deciding whether faith in Jesus Christ is true, and you will follow him or not, then you need to know this up front, that the grace of God 
is absolutely free. And it will cost you everything. The grace of God is absolutely free and it will cost you everything. And Paul gives some tangibles here. First, he says that our part is to be humble and gentle. Verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Now, for years, I didn't like this instruction, but it was good for me. It's what I needed. I didn't like it in my flesh because it went against the very grain of sin and arrogance and pride of life. And I'll just be straight with you. Pride and arrogance have been like an Achilles heel for me. Because of some, didn't expect this to catch me, because of some significant levels of pain and wounding and brokenness in my life. Pride and arrogance were the only way that I knew to combat the insecurity and the emptiness the worthlessness and the inadequacy that I felt deep inside. You see, we all have emotional, spiritual Achilles heels. Those vices, those temptations that we struggle against, these are a couple of mine. What are yours? If we end up walking together, and I hope we do, Over time, I will share with you some of what this journey has been like for me. The way that Jesus has ministered to some of the deepest hurts in my story. And the times that God has removed some of these underlying reasons for pride, independence, and arrogance. I am not the man that I was 20 years ago. In fact, I would say, I'm not the man that I was a year ago because of what Jesus Christ is doing in my life. And I'm very grateful for that. Now, this, is instru- this instruction is something that I understand and I grasp at a whole nother level and I embrace that with my whole heart. Excuse me. The writer of the book of James says that God actually says that he opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Well, I can tell you, I don't want God working against me. I want to be working with him. I want to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. I want to sense his presence and I want to depend upon his power for life and for for ministry. And what this passage is telling me here today is that humility is critical in making that happen. And the Apostle Peter encourages us to humble ourselves before God so that he will lift us up. That's a choice that we can make. Walking in humility, it's our part. 
But the Apostle Paul also includes something else here in our text. Verse 2 again. Be completely humble and, say it out loud, gentleness, as opposed to being rude, harsh, even mean-spirited. It's quite acceptable, even even expected in some cultures, that men be rude, they be ignorant, they're demanding of their wives, even abusive, but not in the kingdom of God. Gentleness becomes naturally evident in our life, both male and female. When we allow the Holy Spirit to influence and to control us, the Bible calls it fruit or evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in our life. With my German and some Dutch background, sometimes I can be harsh or I have a harsh look on my face without me even knowing it. This has been an area I've had to grow on. Excuse me, that I've had to work on. I'm thankful for family. I'm thankful for small group who have pointed these things out to me. I need people speaking into my life. Be completely humble and gentle. Then Paul gives a second tangible of DIY faith. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Verse two, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. I've heard you, I'm, I'm sure you've heard it said before. Be careful when you pray for patience because God loves to answer that request. He loves to orchestrate circumstances in our life that force us to either go crazy or develop patience. Patience is another evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in our heart, in our life. Bearing with one another in love is very difficult to do, especially when our perspective of life is all about us. I think Paul gives us this instruction because he knows our tendency in the flesh is to not patiently bear with others. If annoyance, if irritation are a common theme in your life, then the Apostle Paul is giving you pushback right now. All of us feel annoyance. All of us feel irritation with others at some point. It's very natural for us. But if it's a common theme for you, like it dominates your internal responses, your external responses to other people, then there's an issue here that the Apostle Paul would encourage you to look at. What would it mean? What would it mean for you to patiently bear with others in love? Maybe spend some time with the Holy Spirit this next week in your quiet time, asking him, to reveal these things to you. We can either blow up in anger. We can yell at the people who aren't getting it. We can silently seethe inside, judging them for their incompetence or their poor taste. We can despair in hopelessness, or or we can quiet the angry voices and the impatience by asking the Holy Spirit to control us in the moment. 
And perhaps a phrase like, Holy Spirit, please help me right now before I lose it, can be very helpful. I've used that prayer often. In fact, even knowing that I'm preaching this today, I had to pray that a couple times yesterday because my patience was this then. Holy Spirit, help me. Again, self-control, according to Galatians 5, is evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in our, in our heart. In fact, 2 Timothy 1.7, for God did not give us a spirit of fear and timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and, say it out loud, self-discipline. Though we can't do this on our own without the Holy Spirit's help, we do not need to let our life be characterized by arrogance, by pride, by independence, by rudeness or impatience. The choice is up to us. And what have you been choosing? Pride, arrogance, some of these things being rude and harsh and impatiently demanding, they are spiritual issues. But they are probably more directly emotional issues. That we have not learned to handle our emotions well or our hurts well. A principle I began learning some 20 years ago as I was at the beginning of my journey towards healing and that Pete Scazzaro has unpacked it in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, it goes something like this. We cannot be spiritually mature until we become emotionally mature. We cannot be spiritually mature until we become emotionally mature. And over the last 30 years of ministry, I've seen this to be absolutely true in my life and in the lives of those that I shepherd. You see, it's very difficult for us to patiently bear with others when we've got significant levels of anxiety and brokenness inside. It's very difficult for us to be patient with the failings and with the mistakes of others when our own identity is based upon whether we succeed or not. A fear of failure can be a powerful driving force to be arrogant, to be rude, to be demanding or controlling. And just like pride and arrogance can be rooted in inadequacy and worthlessness, among other things, impatience can be rooted in lies that we believe about ourselves. Lies that we believe about God or about other people. When some of those old tapes, sorry, that probably just shows my age. Some of those old podcasts about ourselves start running inside. When anger or anxiety or impatience or worry or fear or questions about whether we have what it takes or not, whether we're beautiful and lovely or not. It's very difficult to be humble and gentle, to be patient and bear with the failings and the mistakes when others make them. Emotional intelligence has become a significant push in the business culture 
over the last 10 years or so. And it's a good thing. How many people do you know who have attended church most of their life, but they're judgmental, they're critical, they're condemning, harsh, inconsiderate? How many of you have experienced that in your home growing up with parents who attended church, but were one way in public and another way in private? I want to be very clear on something. Having extensive knowledge of the Bible does not determine our maturity. Don't get me wrong. It is very helpful. It is absolutely necessary that we have a grasp, that we have an understanding of what the Bible teaches. That is very important to live a life worthy of the calling. We gotta know what it says. We gotta know what that calling is like, what it calls us to. But fat-headed Christians, people who have had their head full of knowledge, but their heart and their life remain unchanged, may not be as spiritually mature as some think. The problem is, when there is enough pain and enough brokenness inside that the truth of the Bible and instruction like we have here today cannot seem to penetrate our heart, can't go to the core of who we are and actually change the way we treat other people, the way we think about ourselves, the way we view the world around us. Take the mission Jesus gave the church. Go and make disciples. Well, one of the most effective ways to do that in this culture is to seek out relationship with, relationships with people that the Holy Spirit identifies who do not know Christ yet and invite them into our life. We invite them into our homes. We invite them into our small groups, allowing them to see tangible pictures of who Jesus is through our life. But I'm pretty sure that we're not going to be doing that if we are people not known by our love. If we're rude, if we're impatient, if we're generally annoyed by others, why would they want to be in relationship with us? Why would they want to be anything like us? If our hurts drive us to be so self-absorbed in our own life and our own priorities and our own busy schedules because they make us feel good, how can there be any room in our heart or in our life for this priority of God in sharing Christ with, with others? Learning to handle our emotions, both positive ones and the negative ones, the destructive, the painful ones. This is our part in investing in our relationship with God. The emptier we are of ourselves and not carrying brokenness and the bondage from our past, the more the Holy Spirit can fill us, the more that his fruit can become naturally evident in our life, the fruit of love, joy, 
peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control naturally become real where others can begin to see that. And that glorifies God. That gets the attention of the people around us. And the Holy Spirit can use that to draw them to himself. Isn't that what you want? I sure do. We can choose by an act of our will to be humble, to be gentle, patient, and loving. And we can go after the underlying issues in our heart and our emotions that get in the way, that block us from living this way. Perhaps it's time to go to freedom session or go again. Or maybe seek out some prayer ministry for healing. I believe and have personally experienced that when we do, and when we ask the Holy Spirit to help us in this, to expose the truth of what's really going on inside for us, and replace those hurts with his love, he rushes in with his Holy Spirit. He rushes in with his presence and his power to help us in our time of need, because God is even more committed to our sanctification than we are committed ourselves. I'm committed to this journey. Would you come along with me? The third tangible of DIY faith. Paul urges us to pursue unity. Verse three, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Let's look at Unity In the context of the church, as the Holy Spirit is talking to Paul, to both the Ephesian church and to us today, what does unity look like? Well, unity in the body of Christ is both an objective fact and a subjective experience. It is an objective fact right here in our text, verse 4. There is one body, one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So whether you like it or not, whether you feel like it or not, every person, excuse me, sounds like puberty, every person who follows Jesus Christ, is united with Christ and is a part of his body and therefore united with every other believer in the church. Notice that the New Testament believers are never commanded to be united with Christ. We automatically are. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in his spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. And then Paul 
who also wrote that book to the, to the Philippian church, he gives the secret that forms the foundation, forms the foundation for unity. Verse three, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. The secret? The secret is unity starts by watching our heart. It starts by watching our attitude, our motives, paying close attention to how we view ourselves, close attention to how we view others in the context of Christ, and then remembering, once again, that life is not all about us and our preferences. It is vital that we agree on the most important things, items of orthodox theology. Who is God? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Bible is God's inspired, authoritative word without error as it was originally given. The the doctrine of sin, salvation through faith alone in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross, eternal existence in heaven or hell, that Christ is coming back in bodily form. These are just a few. But being of the same mind does not mean that we agree on everything. Or it wouldn't say, not looking only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. In the kingdom of God, and therefore the church, there is much variety and creativity. There are many secondary issues in which we get to bear with others in love, even though we may have a completely different perspective on that particular issue than another believer. Some Biblical issues might be when Jesus Christ will return. Perhaps worship styles, how to structure church. Perhaps a particular vision as to what the church is to be about, just to mention a few again. There's also a lot of other non-biblical issues that we can be all over the map on. It's not a bad thing that there are many different Christian churches and denominations. Each one has its uniqueness its own worship style and theological emphasis. Because we are united in Christ with every believer, there's nothing wrong with connecting into community and committing to fellowship with other believers who have a particular unique approach to pursuing God. That might be just the way God wired them. And maybe that's just the way he's wired you. This should be celebrated God has not created us as robots all forced into one mold. I believe this reflects the manifold wisdom and the creativity of Jesus Christ and then orchestrated by the Holy Spirit. So, unity is being on the same page for the most important issues outlined in the body and in the Bible. On everything else, we get to figure out how to bear with others. And in fact, I don't know if you noticed it, but it even said love them. But it didn't say like. Just saying. But it does say love.
So let's take a difficult subject. COVID has been the most divisive issue that has entered the church, at least in my lifetime. From small things like hand sanitizers and masks to much bigger things like vaccine and, and the role of government in our life. And my observation is that it has exposed cracks in our ability and our commitment to remain unified despite others having different views than ourselves. There are some things that will divide us and should divide us. Core biblical orthodox theology. COVID and vaccines should not be one of them. There are principles, biblical principles that guide how we make decisions about these things and how we respond to government. But as to a person thinking differently, having their own thoughts of this global pandemic or a vaccine initiative... Each person is drawing their own conclusions, whether you like it or not. No doubt, each of you have made a decision about these things. You have an opinion on what is right and what is wrong. No problem. But we have... Have we been careful to watch our attitude towards those who think differently than us? There is no room in the kingdom of God or in his family, the body, the church, or in any small group for that matter, for nasty comments, for judgmental attitudes, condemnation, or disgusted looks that we give to people who think differently, believe differently than we do. If the Bible does not expressly address the issue, as it does in COVID, then we must be very careful how we treat others regarding that issue. It is possible to maintain the unity of the Spirit even when we feel strongly about some particular non-biblical issue. This is part of us bearing with one another in love. Because I want you to notice here, that the objective is unity, and maybe put that verse back up, is unity of the Spirit. Not necessarily the kind of unity in this world. You see, unity in this world, as I've come to see it, has come to equal strict conformity where everybody believes the same thing. There's no room for dissenting views or any contrary observations. Not so in the kingdom of God. I believe the division, I grieve the division that it has created within the body of Christ. The Apostle Paul couldn't have seen COVID coming 2,000 years ago, but the Holy Spirit did. This has not surprised him. He inspired this teaching through Paul 
And that's why in verse 3 here, there's three words that stand out. It says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Why? Because it does not come naturally. It doesn't. It's really hard. It's hard work to put up with others. He says here, it's a priority. Make every effort, every effort. That's how much of a priority this is to God. And if it's a priority that much to God, I think it should be a priority to us. So I ask you, how have you handled yourself in these last couple of years? Have you sought to maintain unity? If you have, way to go. Good work. Or have you participated in tearing it down? Is there something you need to repent of before God? Are there some things that you need to go back and make right with someone else? Have you had a lazy side to you in your relationship with God? The interesting thing is about these tangibles in particular is that we can't blame somebody else for a lack of effort. I couldn't blame my siblings if the chores didn't get done. God is looking at us. These things are our investment into our relationship with God and a walk of faith with him. No one's going to do it for us. This is hard work. But can I affirm to you and strengthen you and encourage you with this, with the filling of the Holy Spirit, his presence and his power, we got this. We can do this. And we can represent him well to those around us. Amen? Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that you don't give instruction in your word. Uh, though it may be impossible for us to do on our own, you don't leave us to our own devices. You don't leave us without the power to do, to accomplish what it is that you call us to. So I pray right now for each one here, each one listening. God, where we have felt hopeless inside because of the struggles that we have faced and our inability to live a life that is worthy of your calling, Holy Spirit, would you do a work right now? Would you strengthen each one with power in their inner being through the Holy Spirit so that on this journey, Christ will dwell in our heart through faith. Would you deeply root and establish each one of us in your love so that we can experience this for real and our desire to walk in a way that's worthy of your calling will come naturally from a heart that loves you in response to your love. We worship you. We love you. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you need anything, don't hesitate to contact us. You can find more information on the website, Facebook, or on YouTube and Instagram. We'll see you again soon.